Hi, Tom. Hello, Heron. So I have a bunch of topics in front of me. How are your list of topics for this evening? Well, I've only got one really boring one, and it's just that I'm unable to uh, find a copy of the Wittgenstein movie. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, I can find most stuff usually, but uh, that just is not showing up. So, oh. if you have suggestions, I'm open to them. I might actually have to send you a DVD of it then, I guess. I don't have it on DVD. Wait, wait, till, wait till my birthday. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Done. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> no doubt it's a, a gift that we'll keep on giving. <laughs> well, this, yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've seen it before. It was on my list, actually, but I've, and I've looked for it a couple times and oh, just interesting. not been able to come up with it. So. Okay. Well, yeah. birthday, birthday gift planned. Easy. <laughs> That's sort of boring, though, now. I mean, now I know, now that I know. You'll forget in two weeks, Heron. Well, a week shit before the podcast, <laughs> two more glasses of wine. And exactly. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll ask you next week what I'm going to get you for your birthday and no doubt to. Well, I'll probably be able to answer that. Okay. Well, we'll sit, test me next week. We'll do. We'll see. So, surprisingly, and this isn't actually on my list of notes, but I thought you were actually going to raise it since we were working on it yesterday evening, and it is apparently a fan favorite, at least for one of our listeners. What? Your audio project. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I actually heard some of the audio last night, some behind the scenes for folks listening in. The audio editing information that I provide on YouTube is relatively sparse, and I record it probably every two or three years for specific people. But it does actually contain some useful information occasionally, and the method that I used then for removing noise is the same method I use currently. And Heron had some audio with a lot of wind. In fact, basically, it was mainly wind and a little bit of Heron speaking <laughs> and some of Heron breathing. And yeah, I just went, yeah. okay, this is standard noise. Select the wind. The thing is, actually, I selected some of the wind and some of your breathing. So you might have sound more metallic because I included your breath yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's the, the – I mean, I've messed with it before, mm. you know. And, uh, in, yeah, it's possible to get rid of the noise, but but then you end up with all these weird artifacts in the voice, you yeah. know. So it's just a trade-off, um, you know. I, I'll experiment a little bit. I I won't go as far as you did, but I it, I might be able to reduce it a little bit and still maintain a sort of natural sound to the voice. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think clearly you're in a windy environment, and I think you can probably work out. My perspective is typically between... Well, that's particularly bad. That's yeah. the worst one I've encountered. The rest yeah. uh, is, is... I mean, it was a, apparently a very windy day, I guess, uh, when I was out. Again, these are all recorded during my walks. Yes. So. Yeah. I found through recording my walks, I used a stereo mic, which meant that I could eliminate one of the channels. I had various techniques to mm. try and reduce the wind effect. Yeah. But yeah, there's not a lot you can do with, with wind. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you, well, you can get rid of most of it, and you did, but then mm. you, you got the trade-offs, you yes. know, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe I could get rid of some of the wind, and, you know, and so I'll, I'll experiment. This is gonna take ages. I mean, actually, I, what I see is, is the stuff I'm editing right now may very well be something sort of like the short funk thing. Mm. Is that because I've got, Literally hundreds and hundreds of these things, and most of them are less than a minute long. Mm. Some of them are four minutes long, uh, but I could put them together, you know, into all sorts of things, you know, and, and then comment on them or oh, whatever. Anyway, anyway uh, I, I don't anticipate releasing any of this stuff in the 
you know, real soon. But I, I just want to go through everything and see what's there first, <laughs> you know, and then, and then I'll decide. Uh, and again, this is just the first part, although there are about, uh, Four, well, no more than maybe three gigabytes of uh, walk and talk, mm. um, and but there's like fifty gigs of old Skype casts. <laughs> That's going to take a long time to get through that. Yes, but even these, I mean, like I said, there are probably maybe three hundred or more of these things. Mm. So um, yeah, yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly the audio that you shared with me, and I didn't listen to all of it. I listened to probably about two, three minutes. Yeah, worth. well, it was only. Well, I think. I, well, anyway, it wasn't a very long. No, it wasn't particularly long, yeah. but it was a little longer than what I listened yeah. to. Yeah, was I guess I would consider it certainly introspective audio and context-specific audio. Oh yeah, yeah. All these things are just well, they're me walking and uh, commenting on ideas that pop into my head while I'm walking, mm. and that's you know, of course, and obviously, it's stuff. Well, these are, uh, I've grouped them. I mean, the, the group I'm on now is all stuff that's sort of related to Gendo. I did, I started one on the keyboard, but I realized uh, that's not suitable for publication, really. It was just mm. notes to myself on, on developing the keyboard. So I, I got about, I started that and then quit it and put them aside and decided, nah, I'm not going to worry about those. So, we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting, this short funk thing. I now have a group of co-workers that listen to it, and various other people, and people just raise it with me periodically. Like, oh, uh -huh. I heard on short funk and these kind of things. Yeah. So, I think it's probably one of my more approachable podcasts for this reason. But yes, its audience continues to surprise me, and I think because it's less of a commitment than, you know, listening to you and me ramble on for a couple of hours, people... <laughs> You know, people could pick yeah. it up and throw it in their general rotation. So, yeah, I, I would encourage you to put out something like that, but with with this audio. And I mean, my perspective is, you know, if you can, if you're working on it currently and you're having directories and they, you know, reach ten, fifteen minutes worth of audio, put on a a top and a tail to it and just put it out. See what happens. Well, well, we'll see. I'm in no, like I say, I'm not in any particular hurry. I just want to see what's there. Mm. I mean. You know, first, you know, and and then uh, I mean, clearly, there's a lot, I, a lot of things I'll be able to do with this if I choose to, uh, and but how to format it, you know, there's all sorts of problems or not problems, but you know, possibilities for it. And at this point, like I say, I'm just, I'm just going to go through it all and organize it, label it, take notes on them, so I know what's there. And then I, I imagine as I do that, I'll get some further ideas on how to put it together and publish it. Certainly, yeah. I, listening to the audio that we recorded last week, I didn't want to... I mean, I appeared very dismissive in the audio. I guess my broader concern at the time was just that you had set out, not necessarily a project with deliverables, but you'd certainly set out something that you wanted to do. And I guess my perspective at the time was that this was going to be something that would take away from your other things, but you made the point very clearly that you've got plenty of time. I've got all sorts of time. <laughs> That's not Sorry. an issue. This isn't going to encroach on anything. I could spend three hours a day on this, and and, and it wouldn't get in the, in the way of anything I'm doing. So Certainly. Yeah. What interested me in the audio that you provided me was that it was a companion to some reading. And that struck me as interesting that you could almost frame this podcast in terms of like, here's a reading list and here's 
Heron's discussion associated with that reading list. Well, I'm thinking, you know, again, uh, of annotating these things, too, because there's a couple in particular where it was really sort of the first time I ever, at least I'm aware of, having stumbled onto some ideas, and I really didn't. I mean, it was clearly there, but it's developed since then, Mm. you know, and so I, I, you know, wanted to uh, put a little comment in there about uh, how this was the first time. And so, you know, there's all sorts of possibilities. This is going to be, it's sort of fun, uh, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not like pulling teeth anyway. Um, listening to the, the keyboard stuff was sort of like pulling deep, but I realize again, that's not really of any use yes. to anybody else, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, k- keep me in the loop, Heron, as they say, associated with this particular project. Well, like I say, this is, um, I suspect this is going to take a, a couple of years to mm-hmm. complete. I mean, this is, I mean, there's a huge amount of audio and it has to be listened to and notated and, mm. and um, so, you know, and, but again, I'm not in any particular hurry, you know, but I, it's stuff out there and it's, and, and it's something that I could use to put ideas into the world. So, I mean, I've got it. And plus I've got my book too. I mean, that, that, that actually can work. I mean, it needs to be redone completely, but, uh, as a, uh, as a sort of handbook to go along with some sort of course or something. Mm. You know. So the book is something that you've talked about previously, but is it, I mean, is that now like multiple pages? Is that something? No, it's like 400 pages now. But this is, is this the, um, book where you took the existing work and then annotated it? Well, you know, I'm not quite sure whether I I should just send it to you. Hold on. I mean, I've got it right here. Should I look at that offline or should we? Well, I don't care. Well, do whatever you want to do. (laughs) Basically, it, it, a lot, half of it probably is, um, my collection of quotations. Hmm. I mean, maybe half of it. I'm not Hmm. quite sure. And then there, well, there's just all sorts of shit in there. (laughs) It's really sort of fun. Uh You know, did we ever talk about Bongard problems? We've talked about so many things, Heron. Yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with Bongard problems? Uh, I think I think I'm. Do they appear on your website? Um, yes, I think they are on the website. Yeah. Okay. Let me. I'm just opening the PDF. And they're and they're in the in this in here too. They were. It turns out that they've. I'm surprised that they've become as popular. You have as, a chapter called the wisdom. Yeah, that's the that's the quotations. Okay. Five stupidities analysis. You wouldn't just call it wisdom? No, if you notice, everything has got the in the front of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so I'm I'm mysteriously at the back, which seems to be the way that I read these things first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. And it it's, it's, just, it's just a bunch of stuff. It's totally, you know, there's no theme or anything, no thread that goes through. It's just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So it's not really a book in that sense. It, it's something that... You know, like a reference work or something yes. that, you, that you could use in the process of doing something else. But it's kind of fun. Yeah, but it really needs to be. I mean, that's that stuff was all done 15 years ago, probably. Yes, yes. It needs to be uh, needs to be totally reconceived. Yes, to make it to make it appear to to be more coherent than it is. Yeah, <laughs> the anthropometer is something we've discussed previously. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, it's a bunch of uh, stuff which is somewhat familiar, having and all the stuff on ergodic structure. Yes, of course. Yes, is, which what about what's cool about that is there's all sorts of uh, images on you know Google Image that I can use uh, of real instead of those stupid drawings. I can yes. you know get uh, real images of ergodic yes. structures, biological and, ergodic structures. Yes. Yes, well, there's quite a bit there, Heron. Yeah, I think the com- combination of that and uh, a bunch of audio and maybe some video at some point uh, could be a you know a, a sort of basis to build some other stuff on, maybe. Yes. How long have you had this book? Oh, it's been around for twenty years, probably. Yeah. Because I, I mean, not 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 really in this in this. I mean, but the quotes. I mean, I've started collecting the quotes probably thirty-five or forty years ago. So. Yes. Yeah. And I actually published, well, self, that's hardly the right word, but I, my original, my very first publication was called A Book of Truths, yeah. which was a little tiny four inch by five inch sort of uh, paperback of uh, all my favorite quotations yeah. that I self published. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then basically this is an outgrowth of that. Babele fans, there is no Babele quote in the book. <laughs> Very good. So I similarly take a, a, a piece of paper, a piece of digital paper around through the week and write down a bunch of things which I think might be interesting to talk about on this particular recording. One of them came through, I've been watching these Casey Neistat video blogs, daily things, and I think I'm giving up on them. Uh, but something that came through that is something that I've never actually said out loud, but I thought <laughs> oh. that you... You were sufficiently crazy that I could certainly wrap you, can you say for at least for yeah. yes. Yeah. I it's, won't be too offended. It's the idea that babies have accents. And oh it's yeah, of course. Something yes, that I've picked yeah. up living in various yeah. countries that sure. babies in their laughing and babbling oh, yeah. actually yeah. sound very different yeah. in different countries. Absolutely. Well, but they we learn language inside the womb. Yeah. I mean, babies has been shown over and over again. In fact, come in, by the time they're born, they're already on their way to learning whatever language their mother spoke. Yes. Yes. But it's strange, the tonality and the kind of pitch perfectness that children need to have, even through laughter and cooing and all the kinds of yeah. noises that babies make. <laughs> yeah. They're going to make the approved set of sounds. Yes. <laughs> if they're smart. They learn the approved set quickly. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting about these babies that are raised in, like, orphanages and things like that, where they don't have interactive sounds for a period of time. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Mm. And then the uh, the idea of being brought up in a multilingual family. Yes. Is another whole very fascinating thing. Yes. Yeah, Bruce Damer in his first rap at Burning Man talked about his experiences being adopted and the fact that his earliest memory was in an orphanage just looking out at the black-eyed baby staring back at him. And I thought this is a very powerful image in describing a lot of my interactions with Bruce, actually. I mean, it, it kind of conveyed a sense of meaning, probably because I'd worked with him for about uh, seven, eight years by that period of time, that I thought I know exactly this emotion because you, you know, there's a kind of shadow effect that you have in, in your interaction with Bruce Damer. And, yeah, it's just curious, but it's just something that you've got to live with associated with his experience. 
The babies that are raised in multilingual environments, I think, yeah, the tonality there has got to be very... But again, I think the, t the notion of babies having a perceived tonality indicates how completely receptive they are. They're, they're like sponges, to use it. Well, yeah, that's all they... Yeah, <laughs> right. That's precisely it. They, yeah. they absorb their environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, um, my spiritual advisor had a Bostonian accent growing up. I had an experience through the week. In fact, it was last Sunday where I was looking at all these photos that people were posting associated with, you know, discussions associated with Father's Day and all this kind of mm. stuff. This really doesn't have much bearing on me. I mean, my relationship with my father is complex and somewhat distant. But I thought, well, screw this. I'll post a photograph, one of the few photographs I have of my father and me taken six-odd years ago. So I posted it up on Facebook, and I realised, actually, which I know as a matter of fact, in fact, I think it represents my relationship with my father, that my father and I look nothing alike. No, I, well, I didn't even know what that picture was, since you didn't bother to annotate it. <laughs> well, I did at the bottom. I said this, uh, I said not in the initial, because it was a profile picture. I made it my profile picture, which I couldn't yeah. annotate. And then I said in the first line, because I thought I might as well explain this to people. Oh, well, I never saw that. Man. I just looked at when you changed your profile picture, and I thought, how nice. Yes. I wonder who that person is. <laughs> <laughs> it is very curious, actually, having a... Because when I when I was young, people thought my... And this was just indicative of a kind of cultural racism that existed in Australia. But, you know, <laughs> one of my classmates' parents went, with, went to the same university and my father taught at. And he said, are you related to, you know, Jack Barbell? And I said, yes, he's my father. And the child reacted in shock and he said, but, <laughs> but he's from Pakistan. And I looked at the kid, and I thought, what can I say to that kind of comment? But yeah, my father has a permanently concave skull, because when he first got to Australia, he was beaten up with a cricket bat by a couple of local <laughs> thugs that didn't like the way he looked. You know, it was too dark for that area. Oh. And um, yeah, it's an interesting kind of welcome to Australia gift to be have your head beaten in. With a cricket bat. Jesus Christ. But, uh, yeah, it's curious not looking like one's parents. Or well, least... he looks so young, too. I mean, <laughs> how old is he? He's, he's as old as you are, Heron. Jesus, nobody's that old. No, this is, this is the nature of actually having multiple wives, I think. <laughs> I think you missed out on this, this elixir of life. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I had enough sex. I just didn't bother to get married. I don't <laughs> think marriage is the issue. Well, does wives take care of you, Aaron? Oh, yeah, all right. Like going out and hunting for food and all that other stuff that you have to do, going down to your local supermarket? <laughs> you know, women folk, Aaron, women folk. Yeah, yeah. But no, it is very curious because people, you know, people just don't realize that this person is my father. Yeah. Well, I certainly uh, was wondering, well, that's interesting. Why would Tom post a picture like this for his uh, profile and then not bother to say who that person is? Yes. Well, initially, like, some of the comments were actually, like, borderline offensive. And I thought to myself... Really? Yeah. Well, in what way? In, like, this person can't be your father and these kind of things. Oh. So I was like... And it's very curious because... Well, it is a kind of a stretch. Come on. <laughs> How tall is he? Oh, well, that's that in and of itself is a question. <laughs> the thing is that actually, and I explained this today to one of the doubters, 
My father grew up in England just after the war and there wasn't a lot of good nutrition and certainly there was a lot of bad weather. In fact, the reason that the family moved to Australia was because my father was of such ill health uh-huh. that, you know, they had to get out of Australia. So his brother, for example, is six foot. And, you know, my brother's a six foot one, six foot two. My cousin, um, my uncle's son is like six foot one. And how tall is your dad? Uh, I don't know. I'm not, whenever Never I Never measured it, he, him, yeah. He, well, <laughs> he's not five, he's under five foot eight. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How under five foot eight he is is a matter yeah. of some speculation. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's curious not appearing like one of, and I often thought as a child growing up that my relationship with my father was prefaced in the fact that I didn't look anything like him. And well, also, does anybody else in the family? Yeah, no, my, my brothers, my, my, well, one of my brothers looks a lot like him. Oh, okay. And the other brother looks like, I don't know, he, he looks even more hybrid because uh, he looks well, more maybe like you my, don't, maybe you, maybe he's not your father. Well, this is the funny thing. I have my brother's DNA and my brother's DNA is clearly my DNA. My brother looks nothing like, he looks more like the maternal grandmother. Yeah. Not either of the other parents. And then, my youngest brother looks like my father, and he also looks like my cousin, who's clearly like so. There's some family resemblance. Yeah. I just I look like my yeah. maternal grandfather. Yeah. Now, as a child growing up, I often thought that if I looked more like my father, he would have behaved in a different way with regards to me. But the fact that I look nothing like him, and you know, he's got this creature yeah. looking back at him that looks <laughs> nothing like him. I mean, yeah. why why have any kind of paternalistic bond with this strange creature? I often wonder, actually, if there was some suspicion of infidelity. I mean, although it's yeah. clear that that isn't the case because we've had the DNA yeah. done now. Yeah. You know, my parents' relationship was so volatile. Like, I can't imagine having this strange-looking kid. <laughs> really <laughs> yeah, one more thing. One more yeah. thing. Although my mother actually chimed in on the general discourse associated with the fact that this guy can't be your father, Tom. <laughs> Which I don't know. <laughs> we share we share a lot of the like the, the traits huh. that aren't like visually perceptive. We share a lot of those. Like we have a similar kind of dry humor. Yeah, and you know, I think ultimately in the long term, we're both. When did he? Uh, so he grew up in Pakistan. <laughs> 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 no, my father was born in Leeds in the UK. His uh-huh. father was also born in the UK, but okay, his so family... He, okay, so he's from... not multilingual then. Well, he spoke Yiddish as a child. I mean, uh-huh. I don't know. Where... No, the whole Pakistan thing was just a completely like some kid looking okay. at some dude trying yeah. to work out where the heck yeah. he was from. Yeah, no, that's as good as any. Here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bangladesh. And actually, my, my father has um, historically been like viewed as every minority, no matter where he goes. <laughs> yeah, he He's could pass for like, Mexican exactly. or uh, almost anything. Yeah, so I mean, he has this amazing kind of, which I think has just added to his personal character. I mean, now he lives in Hong Kong, so, you know. Oh, he might have a little trouble passing for Asian, I think. Well, I don't know. I mean, the funny thing was that my mother always said that he had some Mongolian ancestry, which obviously the DNA didn't show anything of. Yeah. But, you know, there were all these kind of curious, mainly brought about by my mother, family histories associated with my father's life, which is one of the reasons, actually, that I've really reveled in getting the DNA and going back and tracing these people. Because I really had no, you know, no knowledge associated with with any of this. 
Yeah. And it's funny because my father isn't even really particularly interested in his ancestry. I mean, he yeah. takes minor interest in the fact that I'm finding people that he knew when he was a child and their children. Yeah. And yeah, well, that could be sort of interesting. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I have no interest in it whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Biology just doesn't interest me. Yeah. On that level, anyway. Yeah. Now, it's funny, actually, because when I see photos when you were young and then I see photos that are part of documentaries, or so, I mean, there's this thing about the 1950s boy, like the haircut, the way in which he was dressed. You know, <laughs> these things are just so, we're so boilerplate through a certain period of time in American history that, I mean, aside from, you know, basic facial details, most American kids in the 1950s look relatively interchangeable to me, at least. And, yeah, more or less. Yeah. Well, but they always do. I mean, yeah. what's different? Any place. Well, now, you know... Everybody got, has... Every culture has its norms. I think, um, in general now, although, you know, kids have long hair and what have you, I mean, the slightly more... There's more than, diversity. No, yeah. you're right. The old cultures are breaking down. That's yeah. why. But, I mean, back in the 50s, it was pretty, you know, monolithic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things hadn't quite, the shit had, hadn't hit the fan yet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But no, it's strange posting a picture of my father, because I guess it's not really something that I'd even normally think about. I mean, he did come and stay with us briefly. And I, I see him, I mean, I, the photo of 2009 was the last time I saw him up until when he came to visit. So, you know, we don't when see him. When was this for, picture taken? The, the one on my Facebook page was taken in 2009. Okay. And, uh, then he came to stay last year, and he actually came again at the start of this year. He was doing something in Berkeley, and we caught up. And then, obviously, we caught up at my brother's wedding. There was a period of time where we talked on the phone quite a bit, which was nice. But really, we don't keep in too good a contact. I spoke to him purely by chance the day before. I spoke to him last Saturday, the day before Father's Day, just because it was my brother's birthday, and I was online to say hello to them, and he came online, and we chatted for about an hour, actually. Yeah. Which was quite nice. Yeah. He, a little behind the scenes, since it's just you and me talking, Karen, we were doing a video chat and I stopped the video part of it because I couldn't get my audio through. And he forgot about that and he started picking his nose through the video <laughs> chat. <laughs> and after about 30 seconds of this, I had to say, look, I'm, I'm still getting the image here. Yeah, please <laughs> pick your nose off camera. I don't, I don't need this. Because I had a, like a very good first person perspective associated with the whole thing. But yeah, that's just the nature of my relationship with my father, basically. Bodily noises, these kind of things. That's, you know, that's our basic level of community. Oh, God. You know, I just posted a, a thing on my uh, Facebook page about uh, these two conjoined twins. Mm. Did you happen to see that? Which, are they the ones, are they the girls in No, the, the two guys. Or, okay. The guys, the 50-year-old 50, 50 guys. Okay. Uh, they're the oldest yeah. conjoined twins. Anyway, it's just the whole idea of that kind of intimacy, yes. <laughs> you know, is just beyond me. Yes. You know, I mean, just the idea, I mean, like say marriage, all that shit. I, I, I need my own space. Mm. <laughs> you know, my whole life has been about that really, mm. you know, and God, the idea of being trapped in the same body with another human being, mm. God, that's just, 
that's just an amazing, <laughs> an amazing thing to have to deal with, you know. Yeah, there were. Well, they're still they're still alive. There are girls who I guess are now women in there at the head. The ones who are conjoined. No, they're joined in the the middle, like in cycle special bicycles and things like that. Oh, okay. But the yeah. thing that struck me, which I think is probably a, a multifaceted topic for this evening, was the questions associated with them having sex, which. Yeah. Mysteriously. Well, just, well, how yeah. about just going to the bathroom? Yeah. Well, exactly. This was, you none know, of that was covered. They were way more interested in, you know, how one of them had a boyfriend and there was like, so how does that actually work out? You know? Yeah. No, I'm just thinking just the two of them, the yeah. fact that they have been stuck together their whole lives. There's nothing that, you know, I mean, they can hide their thoughts, mm. right? But I mean, there's just, there's just nothing you can withhold. Can you hide your thoughts, though? I mean, this is my well, thoughts on manifest. How clever you're. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> thoughts manifest themselves in a wide variety of physiological ways, well, and I can't. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. Is it'd be fascinating to talk to these guys, mm. you know? And, and and it's even almost like you know. I mean, they insist, of course, that they're two very separate, very different people. Mm. But I'm thinking, no, they're not. You know, they are so intertwined intellectually, physically, and in every possible way. Yes, they do have different brains, mm. and and they aren't identical, obviously. Mm. But uh, it, I mean, it's just such a unique position to be in. Mm. You know, it's it's just. I say for me, it's just it's just hard to imagine. I don't know if I could handle that or not. You know. Well. It wouldn't be you, right? Well, of course, that's the whole thing. Yes, yeah, if you're brought, if you're from the first moment you're born and become mm. aware you, this is the situation, then yeah, it, it's, it's going to be different. Yeah. yeah, you don't just get thrown into this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my brothers are twins, and even non-conjoined twins have a very different kind of relationship. And it was actually interesting. I mean, my brothers are dissimilar, so they're just like brothers, but they're brothers that have shared so many experiences together. When they were in their late teens, they used to seriously beat each other up. I mean, I remember <laughs> I was in the process where I was leaving Australia. They must have been 15, 16 at the time. And I was sick in bed. I had like a double middle ear infection. And I was on antibiotics, which meant I had this horrible... A double middle ear infection? I haven't put that on my list. I So you have a middle ear infection, which is typically on one side. Ah, but if you have it on both ear. sides, right. then you have I, a double middle ear infection. I got it, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> when you take antibiotics for that, you are in extreme pain because the antibiotics actually inflame the area for the short term at least. Yeah. So I was in bed dealing with this, and I heard the sounds of things being broken, and one of them had decided to smash the other one's CD collection, and I was unable to do anything, and I ended up buying a whole bunch of new CDs for one of them because I felt so bad about the circumstance, but really when they got to the age of, um, you know, where they could do each other physical harm, their immediate concern was doing each other physical harm. Like, it was very curious that these... And there had always been, like, dominant power narratives, and one brother had, had always been, like, below the other brother in terms of, like, the mischief that they got up to. Uh. He was always the fall guy. But then he became physically more dominant and he had a rage associated with what had gone on previously. (laughs) And funnily enough, now my one brother who had been intellectually, or at least, you know, in terms of the mischief, had been more dominant, has very little recollection of that 
like the prior period. So yeah. I think it's it's very curious watching the relationship. Oh two, yeah, yeah. You know, two people that do grow up. So I, my li- I can't imagine what my life would would have been like had I you know had brothers and sisters. Mm. You know, uh, being an only child, well, it is certainly a different situation. You know? Yes. I've never had to accommodate myself. Yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah. Yeah, it's some it's interesting we were talking my spiritual advisor and I were talking about our cat that is the oldest cat. And we had her before we had any of the other cats. And her dream is to be the only cat again. There are certain circumstances where it's just her in an environment, usually because I'm around to protect her or things like that. And she loves those times. And my wife, being the youngest child, has never had this experience. And she said, do you regret when your brothers were born? And I said, <laughs> it's such an abstract concept to me now. It's yeah. not something I can have discourse yeah. about. But she said her, her eldest sister always commented, and even her middle sister commented, you know, can we take her back to the hospital now? You know, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, really. We don't need this inter- yeah. you know, this intervener here. Yeah. Come on, move on here. <laughs> Nothing to be seeing. Go back to the hospital with you. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it is a curious thing. I mean, what I percent- I want, I'm cu- do you, you have any guess as to what percentage of, say, Americans or, you know, first world people are only children and which what percentage have brothers and sisters? I would say it's probably about a third. A third are only yeah. yeah their their parents wise up quickly, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, other parents take a little while to figure it out. <laughs> yes, there's a thing called contraception, right? Yeah. So yes, it is. It is a curious, and there's all these studies associated with how many children are the right number of children, and the yeah. whole thing about two has been shown again and again to be the wrong number, and it's oh, all, really? all very curious <laughs> associated with how many children, you know. Yeah. But I think, yes, I mean, certainly, yeah. I used to be able to pick people with very high accuracy associated with how many siblings they had and where in the pecking order they were. Uh-huh. I don't do that anymore. It's too intimate associated with people's psychologies. But uh, when I was at university, I was very good at doing this and did it with, like I said, very high accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could tell how many uh, brothers and sisters they had and where and they where were. They in were in, yes. Yeah. And usually after spending only a couple of hours in their presence. Yeah, I would think that, yeah, if you're paying attention, they're... That that seems reasonable. Yeah. That there are going to be certain traits for an old, the oldest or the youngest, you know, yeah. that, that are going to get shoved on them no matter what. Yes. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, there's a curious thing associated with paying attention. Like an only child will typically pay attention in certain circumstances where a youngest child may not. And then the middle child has their own characteristic, like, interaction points. And really it was all very clinical, and I just went through a certain number of checkboxes, and then I could predict basically where the people stood in this. And also there's the the problem associated with someone who has a very much older or very much younger sibling. Yeah. Because they're artificially Yeah, that's like, a whole different yeah, yeah ball game. There. They lean artificially. So a lot of people who have parent only child complexes are actually by are far younger than their nearest sibling. Yeah. And they've basically had all the attention where the young the next in line sibling has been, you know, off at college or whatever. So, yes, it's a curious set of uh, factors. It's like two only children. <laughs> yes. I have a group of topics associated with stuff in the news currently, and I think I'm just going to roll into them. The Confederate flag. 
seems to now be a symbol beyond yeah, anything yeah. I think it's ever... It's very curious because I followed for many years predominantly African-American groups that picket and um, make big deals associated with businesses that even in the hobby of model railroading sell things that have the Confederate flag. Yeah. And I have a curious perspective on this because I've watched the swastika be removed from European publications and really from Europe in its entirety. And yeah, yeah, Hitler really fucked it up for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was a yeah, great the Indians, symbol. the Thais, yes, yeah, so yeah, variety yeah. of folk that had yeah. used it previously. Yeah, yeah, it's a great symbol. Too bad. <laughs> and I don't know whether it's necessarily rational. I mean, I don't think really there's, there's a thing associated with rationality here. But well, on a planet full of people who are actually conscious, it would be not an issue. Yeah, <laughs> sadly no. But. I do hold the removal of the swastika together with the removal of, like, I don't know, some historical importance associated with understanding, you know, what the Nazis were about, understanding their kind of cultural yeah. context, understanding things like air conditioning and freeways and <laughs> magnetic tape and a wide variety of things that the space race that, you know, the Nazis were kind of a part of in some regard. But the Confederate flag, I guess... There are no state buildings in Germany that still have swastikas on them. <laughs> and the Confederate flag is an interesting one because I mean wow. I I'm certainly I certainly wouldn't advocate state buildings having, you know, Confederate flags up. I think that's very much I'm surprised that they're even legal. I'm surprised they weren't made illegal after the Civil War as yeah. a symbol of you know, the insurrection. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just... Uh, this, is, this is an interesting kind of guilt, counter-guilt associated with yeah. the Civil War. I think yeah, we'll really give them the flag, you yeah. poor guys. Well, <laughs> Let them have the flag. The thing is that, I mean, certainly like Robert E. Lee gave speaking tours and stuff afterwards. And I think there's an interesting kind of relationship with the Civil War <laughs> after the Civil War. He did workshops. Yeah. <laughs> You know, smoked cigars and gave orders. He did what he did. And it's it's strange because this kind of old boys element, there's obviously, which existed prior to and was one of the many causes of the Civil War, there was certainly, like, financial penalties that were applied to the South, even prior to the Civil War. Well, that was part of why there was exactly. a Civil War. And through this, I've talked to, and this all comes through Model Rail, actually it comes through Model Rail Radio, an older historical podcast that I've done. I did a podcast maybe eight years ago with a group of 18 to 20-somethings that were from Ole Miss, the university in Mississippi, and they gave a perspective associated with the Civil War, and they were all white guys, so they didn't have any, you know, they didn't have any racial perspective on it. But they gave a very interesting account of the Civil War, and I found this. We have a fellow who calls into Model Rail Radio who I think is in maybe rural Georgia, and he, you know, he's a military guy, and he had, you know, family members that were in the Civil War, the South, and these kind of things. And you have all these kind of characters that if you pay attention and you listen and you are observant will realise that this thing is not as cut and dried as people would like to think, very similar to the Nazi state. That there are a wide variety of really interesting and curious footnotes that probably need to be remembered through this process. Then you have Apple banning 
like <laughs> yeah, Civil War games. games. Is that is that it? Civil? I, I thought it was just the sim, the Confederate flag. Although I don't know how you have a Civil War game yeah. without the Confederate flag. Yeah. Well, that's that's <laughs> the problem, right? That actually the historical significance of the flag. Yeah, yeah. It's me. part of it's part of how we got here. You know, it's just. Uh, but it certainly doesn't need to be hanging in state capitals, though. Yes, I'm certainly with you on that. <laughs> and I think this is where it gets very curious. A few weeks ago, I recorded Model Rail Radio, and I was introduced to a fellow prior to recording the show who came on the show and I talked with for quite a period of time that has a project, it's not quite a fully-fledged charity yet, called Operation Christmas Train Set, which nominally gets train sets, packages them together and gives them to underprivileged children. He's worked with a, a college professor who has a charity, a fully-fledged charity, that gives toys to kids whose parents are in prison. And when this guy came on, I thought, you know, this is great. This is something that I could certainly get behind. I think the, you know, the curiosity that I found through doing Model Rail Radio is that this is an elaborately expensive hobby that alienates parents that don't have a lot yeah, of money yeah, yeah. and mysteriously the ability time. to give kids trains is a good thing the more that i interacted with this fellow the more i realized however that there were various overtones through this project it was a christmas train set for example <laughs> and also the fact not that a the, hanukkah train set <laughs> the academic concern was part of a of a a religious university and the more that i got into this thing the more that i realized that there were actually things that were points of concern he also did a variety of things with the model rail radio community which didn't win him any friends very quickly however for the past few days he has had a confederate flag as his facebook image which has <laughs> um, nearly got him banned from facebook Really? Actually. Wow. And he's posting all this stuff associated <laughs> with being a persecuted minority based on this thing. And <laughs> well, yeah, but he's reveling in it, isn't he? <laughs> then we have, and for me personally, actually, I think this was a revolutionary moment this morning when I saw that the a group of relatively dodgy and actually really quite curious characters called the Supreme Court of the United States decided that uh, gay marriage, well, at least a majority of them decided that gay yeah. marriage was okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a little surprising. And I thought, well, maybe cannabis will be decriminalized within the next 10 years universally. It opened a yeah, wide yeah, variety yeah, of possibilities. Yeah, that's, of yeah you're right. Yeah, that's that's purely fantasy land up until this yeah, morning. Yeah, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big step. Yeah, of course that. It, but there isn't any place to go from there. Is there? I mean, you can't challenge that in court. <laughs> well, they're trying. I mean, there are a group of southern governors that are trying very curious methods to make sure that uh, religious organizations will not be persecuted because they. <laughs> They hate fags. I mean, let's call it what it is. Yeah. And I think what's particularly interesting is that this moment, which could be used for a great degree of unification and reflection, yeah. is actually once again being like dominated by a very vocal minority that want to pretend that they're being persecuted. <laughs> 
this fellow with the Operation Christmas train set, he's one of these guys, I've got to call out Connor Sites Bowen here as well. He's one of these guys who keeps saying he's going to leave Facebook for good. Yeah. He never actually leaves Facebook for good. So um, he posted this thing this morning associated with how he was going to get off Facebook and how he was going to enjoy his 4th of July barbecue and they couldn't take these <laughs> things away from him and you know god bless the troops for protecting the country yeah, yeah although yeah. the troops can now be gay and can now actually probably have military weddings to signify <laughs> their gayness but i didn't want to post anything it's like i thought to myself as i was walking to to lunch today what kind of country would actually take away people's right to barbecue and then i remembered something <laughs> I remembered something which is repressed in me, and that is Australia actually banned the predominant way that people barbecued. What, I mean, the, the method, you mean? Yes. It's polluting or something? Well, yeah. they feared bushfires. Yeah. Okay. I've never, ever, ever, ever heard of a barbecue caused bushfire. In fact, every time <laughs> we had barbecues, there was always the bucket of water. It went hand in hand with the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. But mysteriously, in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, the Australian government successfully banned, banned fire bar- barbecues. Out- really? And there was a particular and how kind long of did that last? Bar- it's still in place. Oh, there was really? a particular kind of barbecue that had what I guess would be called a plow disc, which was a like a, a blade-like disc, slightly concave with a hole in the centre. So all the fat from the sausages would go in the hole and, you know, flames yeah. would come up out of it. But basically everything had a smoke flavour. That barbecue was banned. And when I went back to the family home in 2009, I didn't actually go back to the family home this trip. There were two of these little barbecues. I mean, they're probably, what, you know, two and a half feet across at most. They're discs with legs sticking out from the bottom. Similar to Weber barbecues, but not quite the same. Yeah, yeah. And, in, um, in your backyard. And, yeah, but they were behind the shed rusting because no one can use them anymore legally. Huh. So it is possible, actually, that these uh, folks... Is anybody... That, well, suppose someone actually went ahead and used one. What the fuck is going to happen? I think the fire department turns up and puts Well, how would they even know? The smoke. Oh, these things... Well, okay, so you can't do anything that creates smoke. Anything that creates any kind of smoke is going to draw their attention. Huh? I, don't, I can only speculate. I've not lived under this kind yeah, of Gestapo yeah. regime associated with my barbecue. Therapy. Yeah, interesting. But, yeah, so I guess I guess there is a slippery slope towards even your barbecues being banned, ladies and gentlemen, so maybe the <laughs> fundamentalist right has something going. <laughs> They'll come and take away your barbecues next. They're coming for your barbecues. They're coming for your hot dogs yep. and yeah, everything and your yep. apple pie. Yeah, yep. the whole thing, man. Yep. You're going to be eating shish kebabs. Yeah, with your friend Barack. <laughs> The thing, that, the thing that strikes me about the whole Confederate flag thing is that if they did a similar kind of analysis associated with just complete genocide and strange, like, racist politics, I mean, the contemporary American flag, probably only five years away, if, you know, the kind of analysis I want to start propagating occurs. I mean, if people thought about the contemporary American flag, like the Confederate flag. Yeah. It's well, really, a lot of people do exactly. already. <laughs> yeah. Very questionable, folks. So, yeah, I, I woke up this morning and, and read this news and just thought this is a different era. Well, there are these moments when, yeah, you're right. Um, that's, uh, yeah, and legalizing drugs will be a, a, a major one, too, when that comes. 
Well, it's already happening. I mean, well, that's yeah, the thing. I mean, this is the state by state basis. Yeah, this is the thing. So we're at twenty states of decriminalization. Yeah. I don't know what gay marriage was at. I think it was about thirty-five, and that just pushed it yeah. over the edge. At a certain basically. point, yeah, it 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 becomes uh, yeah, which is what's happening. Yeah, mm. a supreme, Well, I imagine California will next time will legalize yeah well it's a 20 year anniversary from the medical i mean yeah you never know but i mean my perspective also is that these religious groups have had a serious kick in the you know chest perhaps and <laughs> whether they come back here, stronger here. and more or whether they just realize we've got to find other things to do with our time I mean, that's well, a pretty big But move. I don't think there's anything they can – well, of course, they can start blowing up things yeah. and killing people. Yeah. That's right. That's right. They don't the, – the end is over politically, so now let's get our guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the right presidential candidate for the apocalypse is definitely Donald Trump. Oh, God, Donald Trump. Yeah, I think he's, <laughs> he's the president for the apocalypse. I mean, Hillary maybe, <laughs> but Donald Trump's got like – Batshit crazy all over him. And he's paying for his own campaign, ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah, what can, yeah, there's just, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, do you have anything to say about Donald Trump? I, I can see the mascot being the toupee on the stick. You can just see vigilantes <laughs> with toupees on sticks running down the street. <laughs> Flaming toupees being hurled. <laughs> yes. It's a good time. It's a good time for Confederate flag makers, and it's a good time for two pay makers, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Get in while the money's there. <sighs> yes, yes. So I have a few more topics. So while we're talking about the decriminalization of cannabis, it it is one of it's one of these curious things. Actually, I realized through the week that I was missing something in my life, and I came to this realization while I was watching something that YouTube had recommended to me. YouTube has always been schizophrenic with me because I've always viewed, like, such a wide variety of content. Yeah, They're never yeah, sure yeah. whether I'm a single Muslim or, <laughs> like, a gun-carrying survivalist. Or yeah, do I really? Right, yeah, really, yeah. But um, I was watching through the week a couple of kids who must be in their early 20s from Mendocino, California, and they created a rap group called Mendo Dope. And I was watching these two kids, and their speciality is is growing small numbers, but still, you know, legal quantities of outrageously large cannabis plants, and then rapping about them as they walk through the cannabis leaves. This is their thing. Mm -hmm. I just thought, these people have got nothing to do with me. Like, why am I even interacting with this thing on YouTube? I'm just wasting my time watching these schmucks after seeing about <laughs> three of their videos and just getting a yeah. sense of who they were. Yeah. And then mysteriously the clouds parted and YouTube delivered to me an individual. His name is Peter Godfrey. He goes by the name Cog. Cog? Cog. Okay. He is from an area of northern New South Wales that is more northern than my revolutionary friends in Elands. But he is a commercial scale cannabis cultivator in an environment where cannabis is still not decriminalized. He's a fascinating fellow. He's got, like, all this Buddhist mythology, but ultimately he's a fourth-generation farmer who just realized that cultivating cannabis... <laughs> he found a better crop. Exactly. <laughs> but there's a beautiful vignette in one of his videos where he talks about when he was 17. I mean, you talk about your awakening um, yeah. 
at uh, you know a, a convenience market with a bikini-clad woman. He said when he was 17, he got on his Triumph motorbike and he went to a place called Nimbin. Now, Nimbin, I don't know even if there's an equivalent in probably San Francisco to a certain area. I mean, maybe Berkeley, maybe Humboldt County. But he went to this place called Nimbin, which is like the hippie epicentre of Australia. Uh, in 1971, it was their first Aquarius festival. He said, and I quote, he saw blokes with long hair and he saw sheilas with their tits out. And he realised that this was the life for him. <laughs> and from then the on, awakening. That was his awakening. Sheila's with their tits out. Yes. <laughs> and from that moment on, he realised that his life purpose was his to, life calling. Yes, was to cultivate cannabis. Yeah. For the masses. Hmm. And good for him. And is he? And he's done that. Yes, but unfortunately, in. 1995, he was found by the police with 8,000 cannabis seedlings, and they valued each seedling at $2,000. <laughs> Holy shit. So this was a $16 million drug bust. <laughs> he was taken straight to jail, he was given no bail, and after eight months, he was convicted for two years. Now... Prisons in Australia are no joke. He saw a number of people murdered. He had the full no-holes-barred prison experience, even though he only spent two years in jail. Two years is a long time. Plenty. He got out of jail, and in his period of time in jail, he met a lot of people that were also in jail for cultivating cannabis. And he realised that there was actually a formula which was that if you cultivate under 50 plants at any time, you are cultivating a less than indictable quantity. Ah, okay. And Good you to know. won't yeah. go to jail. Yeah. So he has perfected this thing. <laughs> he wrote a book. He created a DVD. And this fellow is a living legend now in his area and now internationally, thanks to YouTube. Good for him. To get yeah. his perspective in a tiny element the 10th edition of his book is gold leafed <laughs> it's available online for 70 australian dollars which is about 55 us dollars and i've purchased a copy it's winding its way towards me yeah this fellow has a philosophy which has large elements of uh stonian deconstruction some of which he came to while he was in prison very much talking about the narrative and how the narrative is not you. He refers to it as the ego mm. in some parts, but he talks about it associated with the kind of active, you know. Yeah, this is an idea that's beginning to emerge in all sorts of places. It's nothing, nothing very new anymore. Certainly. <laughs> so apparently his book contains elements of this as well. And certainly if you get the Nimbin television or the Nimbin TV version, there are two versions on YouTube, one that has his philosophy removed and it's just about cannabis cultivation. The Nimbin television version doesn't have everything. It doesn't have a conclusion, but it has uh, his philosophy stuff interstitially put in as well. Yeah, Fascinating fellow. He talks in ways that I think you may have an audience already through... A wide variety of these, you know, communities where this stuff has already been spoken about. And yeah. I'm certainly interested in reading his book and, like, highlighting sections that are clearly part of the Stonian ethic. 
The only problem, which I think is a problem with the US, not a problem with other countries, is that he can't travel now because he's convicted. He's, he's a convicted yeah. felon. <laughs> so, you know, this keeps him in Australia. So he, cannot, so he can't come to the United States? I don't know. I think through some special dispensation he probably yeah, he could, could. if they decided they wanted to let him do yeah. it. Yeah. But, uh, no, he's a fascinating fellow. I thoroughly recommend folks check him out on YouTube. And he represents... What's his name? His name is... Co- if you put in Cog and Cannabis, uh, K-O-G, okay. Cannabis, okay. you'll find his stuff. He also uh, repairs Triumph motorcycles. He has a kind of zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance thing as well. Uh, he also brews his own beer. I mean, he's he's quintessentially the Australian cannabis grower that I knew about and occasionally had periodic exposure to through my misspent yeah. youth. But perfectly captured, and in a way that I think everything that I've seen on YouTube up until now, there's a kind of... I mean, these Mendo Dope kids, they had, like, brand-named clothes on. They wore brand-named hats. They were very much about being in style. There was no deeper... Like, you know, they were about yeah. the cannabis culture, but they really didn't have any of the kind of metaphysics. Yeah. And then to see Cog in contrast to this... And also, he's beautifully Australian. He's beautifully unassuming. There's an interview with him that talks about when the police come and visit him periodically, because now, obviously, he's like a cannabis celebrity. Yeah, yeah. The police frequently come by and visit. And Check he, and count the plants. Exactly. <laughs> and his perspective is actually it's quite fun because the guys like his videos as well. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just done a... He should have the video. T- you should tape the cops when they come to count yeah, the plants. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had a, they had a um, camera crew turn up, which is one of his... Well, a couple of the videos on YouTube. And the camera crew got quite excited and they went down and saw his garden and looked at the plants and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it really is a beautiful kind of... And the thing about New South Wales is that the cannabis laws there are still... Which is, funnily enough, also how he can make a profit. I mean, he makes his profit based on the seasons and these kind of things. He has seasonal cultivation. But yeah, it'll be interesting if it ever gets decriminalised in Australia, because a good portion of... I mean, now his livelihood is DVDs and books and things as well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the and it's something that... I, there's a thing called the Emerald Cup here. Which is a festival held at um, one of the local uh, one of the local county fairgrounds, actually, that I've been to with my spiritual advisor last year. And the Emerald Cup is a is a kind of group of growers and you know cultivators that get together and a wide variety of seminars that are available online. They never talk about what happens when cannabis seeds become like basil seeds, like when they're omnipresent, free, nearly free. Yeah. And, you know, everyone has them and they just grow cannabis, which, which was kind of my experience in Australia. I mean, it was certainly pretty omnipresent yeah. because it was decriminalised in the area I was in, not New South Wales, the area this cog fellow's in. But, yeah, it's culturally, uh, it was so refreshing to see something that was an element of this. Because I guess I carry some of this around in some of the field of chaos writings, but also within certain elements of my character. And to see an individual that so totally embodies that on YouTube accessible... Doing yeah. what he does in such a no-nonsense fashion. I mean, he's not pulling any punches. It's who he is, you know? Yeah. And a wide variety of circumstances got in there, including Sheila's with their tits out. And, you know, <laughs> that's his life. <laughs> so, yes, I would thoroughly recommend folks who are, who are interested in this kind of counterculture stuff. Look, personally, I mean, Nimbin was never anything of interest to me. I have friends that have gone through Nimbin. I know people that have travelled through that area. I was certainly more interested in the militant cyber hippies that, you know, didn't let the cops onto their land and fought them actively and these kind of things. But those folk are, are similarly probably a dying breed. 
An interesting thing that he posted is that he can't get his original strains. He has a very similar problem to here. Mm. That um, he obviously hasn't discovered the internet of seeds, but um, he's using only strains that he can get locally, and thus he's almost completely well. He's got no sativa stock, but it was the original sativa that came over from, you know, Thailand and Vietnam in his cultivation cycle anymore. All his plants are hybridized, and he seems to be growing now, you know, more of the kind of Kush varieties and the things that here are called, you know, OG Bubba. So, yeah, it is interesting that uh, even these areas of historical land race, although the people I knew in s- further south from him spent a lot of time making sure that their strains weren't polluted and these kind of things, and I think this guy's just a you know general commercial gardener, so he probably has less concern about that. Well, once it gets legalized, it'll be interesting to see just, you know, what the entrepreneurs do with that. <laughs> well, you already see this in... Um, Colorado and less so in Washington State. I mean, Washington State is interesting because it's pretty well decriminalised, but they keep passing these curious laws to try and just make it a little bit more difficult, you know, whereas Colorado (laughs) has just completely embraced it in terms of the cash and what have you. Washington State still... You know, still like a red-faced schoolgirl associated with how they're <laughs> doing this implementation. It'll be interesting to see what Oregon does. Yeah, um, or California. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really holding my breath with California, but if it happens, it happens. Well, I mean, well, yeah, we'll see. You, you know, know I they mean, actually get to vote again. Yeah, you know, maybe, Lifetime. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would be curious if it became decriminalized or fully legal in California, because, again, the revenue aspects of what Colorado did, uh, but the... Again, the nanny state aspects of what Washington State yeah. did. Interesting. And how, I'm, I'm curious how hemp is related to all of this. Uh, well, there are 20 states of decriminalization, and I think you shouldn't have much problem growing hemp in a majority, certainly in the southern states that they have decriminalized, or the close to southern states that have I'm surprised that, I mean, there's so many people that are pushing hemp, but it doesn't seem to have caught on yet as a, you know, for clothing or any other number of things that apparently is pretty good at. A story that I was going to say for short funk, but you've kind of prompted me into telling was associated with when I was about 17. And a friend of mine said, why don't we hold a a legalized hemp protest in our city? Tom, you're good at organizing those kind of things. So I went to the local municipality, and you had to pay per city block. I think it was in the order of $100 per city block per hour if you're going to hold a protest. That was just the law. (laughs) So I paid for an hour for a city block, and we turned up with our flyers and our folding table, and we sat in the city block. It's quite a nice city block, actually. There's a large, like, chessboard where people play large-scale chess and then a series of smaller chessboards where people play regular chess. Uh, And it's, you know, got bookshops and cafes around it. So we turned up and set up our table. We had our leaflets, our rocks on top of the leaflets, so they wouldn't blow away. About 30 police showed up, including about probably six canine officers (laughs) with their dogs. It was really quite extraordinary. We were encircled by cops. Wow. And the dogs were there kind of chatting at the bit, growling at uh, clearly the three kids who were, you know, protesting hemp decriminalisation. No one took any of our flyers. The whole thing was almost like a performance art piece of just yeah. curiosity. Yeah, this is where cameras come in now, nowadays. You know, this is the yeah, where an <laughs> iPhone becomes very helpful. Well, I don't know if anything would have changed. I mean, the police were there just to show, and I realized actually that this was remarkably good value. 
I mean, look at the problems I have now with police. Imagine paying $100 an hour for 30, you know, 30 police <laughs> plus canine officers showing up. That's extraordinary. I, yeah. I do. I, I pay it a week, you know. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. I just random, like, for example, on trash night, I'd pay for like three hours of them. You know, I mean, it's just amazing that this could be Yeah, done. that's right. 30 it's cops just, in front of your house yeah. probably ought to slow down. Yeah, the canine units. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Extraordinary. So, yeah, that's the story of a misspent youth that would have easily fitted in a short funk, but I decided to break it here. Well, there's no reason why you can't do it both places. Well, actually, one topic from last week that we recorded associated with the firemen's union, the firefighters' union, I realized I hadn't done any justice with here and re-recorded it in a, yeah. in a short funk. So, yeah, there may be crossover. You know, I think within the, the phone hacker John Draper Crunch was on RT this week, the Russian television yeah. station. And it was one of the most, I mean, every interview with him is curious because he's kind of, I don't know. I mean, as he gets older, he's more kind of cognitively fractured. But this interview was just very strange with a kind of woman, I guess, in her early, early 30s Russian woman. who was quite constantly readjusting her shirt. She had all this kind of strange, you know, flirtation aspect to her dealing with this guy who's probably what six years older than you heron maybe i don't know of, of that kind of no actually 1942 so what's that four years older than you? something like yeah, yeah. right yeah. so you know all very strange and him not actually being able to answer any of the questions and in fact what he starts doing is he starts telling unrelated stories and then kind of tries <laughs> to reconverge and then they kind of go backwards and she says things like you know Hackers are so romantic and all the stuff as she's adjusting her top, you know. And it really is all very, like, I mean, it's basically, look, I mean, truth Why were told, they interviewing him? Oh, something to do. I mean, the thing about Crunch is, if you know anything about it, it's funny, actually, because my friend Craig, who's, who's writing slash, well, writing, basically, this book on Crunch, posted on... Um, facebook this week that they got together and i said well how's the book coming along and he said oh it's fantastic we just edited the section about the computer from burning man well the computer from burning man story is actually rather interesting when i got to the u.s in 1999 i was invited to burning man by a few people including john draper crunch but i just arrived in the u.s and i had a bunch of stuff to do and i really didn't want to go to burning man it must how does this even work out date was yes it was because i was coming over for SIGGRAPH. burning man was around the same time kind of august July, August time frame. So Crunch had a computer that I I can't recall whether I was carrying a computer or not, but for some reason Crunch wanted me to get me this computer. What, what year was this? This was 1999. Okay. So I got the computer. The way I got it was like we turned up at an apartment in San Jose and I had to show this kid some ID to prove who I was because just random people turning up asking for Crunch's computer clearly happened all the time. Anyway, so I showed the guy my passport, and he wasn't sure what it was. I said, it's a passport. It's got passport written on it. It's an Australian passport. This is my ID. This is who I am. This is a photo of me. This is me. So he gave me this computer, which was Crunch's computer, that was full of sand and various other detritus from Burning Man. This is the story about the sand-filled computer in Burning Man. The thing about it was that there was this bizarre kind of transgender bondage porn on it. And I cleaned out the computer and then reeled back in disgust. I mean, the worst thing about working on people's computers was finding strange pornography. (laughs) And this, like, it wasn't even, like, suspicious. It was just like, oh, yeah, that's Crunch's porn. (laughs) Nothing unusual to see here, folks. Just put the computer back. I used the computer and I passed it on to Crunch and his porn was still intact. 
wonder if he ever thought about that. He doesn't exist on that level. So when my friend Craig said, oh yeah, we've just finished talking about the Sandfield computer, I thought, there's no way Crunch's biographies, maybe it does contain the transgender bondage porn, who knows? <laughs> but I just thought every aspect of these stories has like this additional layer. And this is the thing that strikes me about these computer history books is that when you appreciate that, None of them can be like recounted as any way as even being close to even. No, they're just stories. You know, one person's perspective on it. (laughs) Anyway, so the Crunch Book is still a going thing. I'm not sure whether I'm going to edit it after that Netflix debacle thing with Crunch, but who knows? I think in our last recording, I talked about making a hybrid between Noble Ape and Apple's new gameplay kit, and I've been working on that through the week as just an interesting curio. The first thing that I've been needing to do is actually make Noble Ape more stable. I invested... God, I'm trying to remember even... I think it was probably the first year that we arrived here, so about three years ago. I invested a lot of time in making Noble Ape considerably more stable. And since then, there have been various additions and various changes, and it's not quite as stable as it was then. So I've been working through the week, making sure the various components with you know the same parameters will run in the same fashion. And then working in parallel on this uh, associated with what parts I'm going to put in, uh, well, and what parts I'm going to completely replace with Gameplay Kit. I'm thankful that I didn't actually create an a American Civil War battle game, actually, through this period of time, because, I mean, that was certainly one of the options with Noble Warfare. I mean, it's still, you know, they still kind of lined up like soldiers do and run into it, ran into each other through that conflict. But, yeah, I'm not sure what direction it will take. I mean, there are a lot of options associated with graphics, and I certainly thought about how you create these genetic algorithm plants and a bunch of other interesting stuff. But, yeah, that's certainly a going project that's taking my time in the evenings. Uh, and it's good to actually be working. I mean, I go through periods of time where I work on Noble Ape every evening, and I go through periods of time, I mean, sometimes in the order of months where I don't even touch yeah. Noble Ape. Yeah, that's pretty much the way I work. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if whatever's hot at the moment yeah. <laughs> you know well i always have another project i mean it's not just yeah i've got just, four or five yeah, that I sitting around cycle through yeah. Yeah, yeah it is like returning to an old friend though i mean i do yeah. have this relationship with it and it's something certainly that um well, i'm coming back around to these recordings yeah. i mean you know determined manner <laughs> you know is um quite a step you know We've talked previously about how this 23andMe site probably has a strong correlation with people that might be interested in Noble Ape, and I've added a whole bunch of new genetic kin through that, and one of them emailed me back saying that they found Noble Ape fascinating, and independently their co-workers already knew about Noble Ape when they mentioned Uh. it to them, Uh, which probably means they work somewhere in either the computer or biological sciences, because, I mean, I'm not sure that, uh, you know... The uh, groundskeepers on the ball fields are keeping up with Noble Ape these days. Uh, so yeah, it just- well, it may be that that really your audience may be that widespread, though. It may be so, they're so weird that yeah. they're in, yeah. you know, <laughs> that you never, you don't, you can't predict where they're going to come from. Yeah, I think certainly. Um, I mean, you know, I've had bankers, and I mean, it's interesting actually um, because uh, our listener Paul Brian Hancock commented through the week that yes he is an original listener and yes he's listened to every episode and he's you know he works in some aspects of or has worked he's now i think pretty well full-time retired but you know he worked for years in finance in hong kong and absolutely and he's listened to every episode of what 
of this. Oh, okay. Stone Ape. So, long-term listener. And, uh, yeah, I do reflect, actually, it was interesting. I was talking to... What's his name? Paul Brian Hancock. Paul. Thank you, Paul. (laughs) You'll actually see him in Stone Ape Facebook posts periodically. Yeah. He's he's a real entity. I actually met him at the Model Rail Radio South Australian get-together. He came to that just to say hello. And I met him and his lovely wife. So, yeah. Sophie? Yeah, can we uh, take this offline for a minute? Sure, certainly. Okay, I'm going to stop recording also. (laughs) So, we stopped the recorder. I don't even know how I'll edit to 10. But I managed to raise one of my favourite topics to talk with Heron about, which is John Jeffries. Uh, John Jeffries. Heron, you mentioned you spoke to him on the phone last night. How is he doing? Well, he's he's got a friend. Again, John and I have known each other since we were in our teens, Mm. in our early 20s anyway. He's now... Probably seventy-eight, I guess, or something like that. He's down. He's, he's so he's sound. Much older than you, huh? I didn't realize he was that much older than you. Well, he's like, yeah, eight years older, something like that, six or eight years older. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, what's curious is he sounds exactly the same as he did when he was twenty. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it's just amazing talking to him. It's just like talking to John, like mm. it always was. You know. Yeah. He's um, he, he's got a friend uh, who's I don't know quite rich and goes spends two weeks out of every month in China mm. doing stuff. I'm mm. not quite sure, you know. But uh, anyway, um, he and, but this guy has decided, and, and this guy is in his 40s, I guess. Gosh. And uh, and he's decided that he's going to learn Chinese. Mm. And and he's got a lot of money anyway. And John knows about my pronunciation uh, yes. website stuff, and he thinks this guy might uh, might be in a position to do something with it. So he went. He called me last night and uh-huh. said he was going to be meeting with him sometime soon. And um, so you know, is anyway, he still playing always, music? Um, you know, I don't think he is. Okay. I don't. I mean, uh, he may be writing me. We didn't talk about that, but he, he he's um, he makes his living as a piano tuner, mm-hmm. and um, he lives in out in Palm Desert somewhere. But most of his all of his clients are in Manhattan Beach, mm. so uh, he, he's got this long commute. But he he he's got it worked out so that he uh, he spends a couple hours, you know, during the rush hour mm-hmm. thing, uh, doing paperwork in his car. Mm-hmm. And and then he drives home, and um, so I, you know, anyway, anyway, he basically he and I are going to spend probably a week together. Up, he's got a cabin up in the mountains. Ooh! So we this may ticks all up. the boxes for Heronstone. Yeah, so it'd be fun to sort of go up and spend a week up in the mountains. So what can you do with your job? Um. Yeah, that's that's a problem. Well, I, I'll just uh, there's a guy. I think they can. They covered for me when I was sick. Mm. You know. Uh, this would be two days. Uh, I'm, Is it uh, a thing where you can work three days for two weeks to cover the one week? Does no, no, because they're dead, the papers are going out on deadlines. Mm. They have to be, you know, and they they have to write them in the day or two before they go out. And, um, <laughs> yeah, not not a week earlier. <laughs> so yeah, no that. But there's a guy there who probably can do it. It'll be a slow and it'll be a mess, but mm. he can probably do it. And I, I I need to bring it up with my boss because mm. uh, really. But I, I think this I is really to, important too. I mean, I think it's important that you have someone that can fill in for you, right? Well, no, it is. It's real important. And there was a guy there, and it was a mess when, mm-hmm. when I wasn't there. But they got the papers out. It took them twice as long, you know, and they looked like shit, but they got out. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah. And, um, 
So yeah, I'm you know I, it's a good thing you brought that up because I'm going to make a note to myself to bring this up with my boss about mm. about doing because it's probably going to be in the next couple months. But again, if for their own sake, I should train this guy. And, yeah, definitely. I mean, this has been a long time coming, and yeah, 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 yeah. There needs to be yeah. yeah anyway, uh, we'll see. Anyway, it'd be fun to go up and spend some time up in the mountains. Certainly. When was the last time you spent a long period of time with John Jeffries? Well, I mean, long period of time. I mean, basically, I've spent evenings with him. You know, yeah. over the last, you know I mean, we get together for an evening or something or an afternoon somewhere. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's been probably a year or two since I've seen him. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah. yeah it's been when you see him, it's usually for a meal or some period of time. Yeah, if we're going to see each other, then, uh, yeah, we, we spend several hours uh, mm-hmm. together. And, yeah, yeah. But have you ever gone and stayed in a place with him for a period of time? No. Because, yeah, it's interesting, actually. Th- I, when, I, when I imagine you in my mind's eye, I see any possible interaction that I might have with you in the future very much in terms of, like, you know, a few hours. This is actually the way my spiritual advisor puts it as well. Yeah. You know, she'll go to Disneyland with her mother and she'll fob me off on you for a few hours, you know. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I think the, the elements of the long form... I, I recorded a short funk through the week associated with a girl who I knew who was an Orthodox Jew. And after we were kind of dating in an Orthodox Jewish fashion for a few years, and we were going to go to Israel together, I'd gotten a scholarship to go to Technion, she was going to Technion, and I'd saved money. This was prior to my glandular fever, so I actually had money. And I'd looked at, you know, putting a deposit down on a, a condominium or whatever and, uh, Haifa, where Technion is. And uh, she said, well, we've got to spend a weekend together because we, I mean, I spent two, three hours a day with her, but we never, like, slept in the same environment. And I yeah. never, pre- I mean, I may have prepared food for her, but there were all these kind of things that yeah. we've never done. Yeah, yeah. So we booked this time in the speech house together, and then mysteriously I realised that she'd been cheating on me for the past three years with this Catholic guy. Because mysteriously, actually, his birthday fell on the weekend where we were supposed to be away. I left this out of short funk because I'd completely repressed this memory. And uh, I said, well, what's, why is it important that you guys spend time with this Alistair guy? Because we're going to the beach house. And she said, well, it's his birthday. I said, well, why, why is that important? And then I realized, actually, that she'd been, you know, staying the night over his place. And all the times her father had been hostile towards me, he thought <laughs> I was the guy who was keeping her daughter, you know, his daughter up all <laughs> night Do- coming home. Doing his daughter. Exactly. <laughs> it all fell apart, like, in an instant. So, yeah, that period, the, like, the long-form staying, and it's something that I actually find, because aside from my spiritual advisor, who clearly I live with, staying with people I always find very curious, and in particular, if you stay, I mean, staying at my mother's place you know there's a single bathroom it's a it's a small condo yeah you know you really are dealing with a human in close proximity and when i go and stay with people it's even more of this kind of thing yeah so i'm certainly at the mindset that if you stay with someone for a long period or more than a night basically yeah you've got to deal with all these kind of eccentricities which you don't deal with in relatively short with with john i don't anticipate any problems Mm. whatsoever both of us are pretty honest about what's going on at the moment yeah. and you know yeah 
I think it would be really fun to spend a week up in the mountains with yeah. him. But you love the mountains anyway. I mean, we've talked so much oh, about yeah. your yeah. childhood yeah, experiences awesome. yeah. and mountain cabins and the fact that, yeah, you want to disappear in Big Bear eventually and these kind of things. So, yeah. Well, you know, God, it's such a wonderful, I mean, I, biology is such a great place. Yes. I mean, you know, as yes. much as I put it down, you know, I still love it, you know. Yes. Yeah, it's the funny thing about having uh, cats that you're constantly surrounded by curious psychology and biology. Yeah, whether yeah. you like it or not. Yeah, animals. Um, yeah, even this dog that we've got here now that I don't really like. Mm. Uh, still, you know, just acknowledging its existence and dealing with it. <laughs> you know. Yes. And it's dealing with me, and yes. <laughs> sort of. Coming to terms with each other, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you still are not getting on with that dog? No, he's, he's um, yeah, yeah. I'd just assume that he just disappeared. <laughs> that would be just fine with me. Ah. Yeah, it's, there's nothing good about him. He's, he's, he wakes me up, makes noise, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's not, he's okay. I mean, he's not unfriendly. But I, I, you know, I don't have time to go out and. I mean, he, he, it's not his fault. I mean, I can't really. Be, he's just ignored. He's that nobody to play with. And, yeah. You know, it's a fucked situation for him. Yeah. Or her, so, actually. So she's there all the time, basically. Well, it's separate. The the part of the backyard where I am has got a gate between me and and where the dog is. So the <laughs> dog's in a in a in an area of. Although he somehow manages to get into this area because, well, anyway, yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just say no more. Yeah, there's there's not much to say about it. He's just not, you know. I mean, he's nice. I mean, he loves to get or she. I, you know, for me, dogs are just all he's. I don't know why that is. Hmm. But in any case, uh, she always is ready for a belly rub. Hmm. And so I usually give her one when I walk by, just mm. just stay on the good side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've had a long-standing discussion with my spiritual advisor. We have, aside from one female cat, we have male cats. And I feel genuinely close. Our female cat, I mean, loves me. And I put out actually a short front recording of the cat crying. And we've since determined, particularly when I go up to San Francisco, that it's a relationship that she has with me. That precipitates this because when I go away, she hides and refuses to come out and a variety of things. I actually rescued her and nursed her back to good health when she was a young kitten. But yeah, the male cats that we have are just, you know, rough and tumble. They don't, you know, they're not particularly flighty. They've got their own personalities. And I've felt certainly through the cats that I've owned that the male cats I've had a far better bonding with than, you know, this incidental female. it's yeah, it's a curious thing. It's a curious thing the way gender shows itself in in animals. Well, I, to me, I just don't. Yeah, I, I don't really notice. I mean, I try and think of her as a female, mm. but you know, she's a dog. You know, it's just a dog. Yeah. That's all. You know, yeah. and dogs are guys. <laughs> you know, I don't care whether she's female or not. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you had a dog as a child, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I've always had dogs for yeah. most of my life. When I, at least when I was a kid, you know, yeah. we always had a dog. Yeah. And was it always a male dog? Um, I believe so. Yes, I, I think so. Yes. Yeah, I do wonder about these uh, these perceptions of gender in animals. And his curious. I'm 
I think a large part of it has just been that the the males of the species are the ones that, you know, come out and interact with us. And certainly in the case of the one that was chosen, he was the, you know, the king of the litter. He was the, the alpha of the group, and that was why my wife picked him to be the one that we took in yeah. that case. In the other cases, they've always been the ones that have, um, you know, been out there in our face. Kind of yeah, the ones that, that choose you. Yeah. 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 And in Luna's case, she was near death. I mean, she was pathetic and unable to move when I picked her up. And it wasn't her gender. It was just her sad patheticness that kind yeah. of drew me to Well, see I, yeah, see, I just can't re- relate to gender in animals. Mm. You know, I mean, gender is like, do I want to screw you or not? Mm. You know, and I don't care how good looking a dog is, you know. Yes, I, this is an interesting perspective, actually, because my spiritual advisor had this discussion with me through the week. She was watching a film that she couldn't get into because the lead character was a woman who, as my wife put it, was a slut. You know, the, the, <laughs> the description was that she took a year off university in order to explore her sexuality. Yeah. And my spiritual advisor said, no, she was just a slut. <laughs> Nothing about exploring, Not exploring sexuality. your sexuality. And yeah. she, she said it with such disdain. That, you know, was it the? And I said this has actually been an interesting divide between my discussions yeah. with Heron because you do represent that kind of alpha male sexuality thing, at least in our discussions. Well, on one level, I mean, yeah. that's that's true for my monkey. Yeah. It's just, do I want to fuck you or not? Yeah. You know, that's it. That's what my monkey is interested in. Yeah. You know, and and that applies to human females who are cute. Yeah, I, I don't, race, age, none of that makes any difference. It's just, are you? Do I think you're cute? Does my monkey want to screw you? Yes. <laughs> you know, and outside of that, gender is just not an issue. Yeah, I guess it's the difference between the 1950s Southern California sexuality that you were sold versus the 1990s. Australian, you know, father from Pakistan sexuality that I was sold because I guess I've, I've wondered about this because I mean, certainly within my social group and this apparent listener, Annabelle, who basically screwed most of my high school male friends, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I was in her presence and actually put to her that I found it was very curious that, uh, but she wasn't even interacting with me like there was any possibility that I was a male, sexual male. And I thought, this is the same. I mean, I encountered this, you know, periodically and pretty well distanced myself from the people that put this out. I guess when I, probably a little bit after when I knew Annabelle. But at least it was a good ejection point from Australia. Very, very curious to see it like um like some museum of bad memories just reincarnated. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, sexuality is, um, well, it's relatively simple for me now, but I mean... Mm. You see, I see it as very heavily socially programmed, which is, I think, where we come to a complete impasse on this topic. That really? I think, yeah, my perspective is not, I'm sure there are certain men probably of my, you know, my country folk that might have that perspective, but it's very... Which perspective are we talking about? That, um, you know... Cute equals fuckable equals, you know, sexual interest. Yeah, it has nothing to do with whether you like anybody. Or mm. anything. That's totally mm. irrelevant. There are plenty of people I like or even love, but I don't want to screw them. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I guess, 
I guess this is a conversation that I've had with you and I've had with my spiritual advisor and it's just a, you know, the archetypal male, which you are kind of caricaturing in your description, has always been something that I've seen more as a, like a phenomena rather than a, an applicable like reality. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's interesting because I was reflecting on this associated with why, after recording this short funk associated with this orthodox Jewish girl, I thought to myself, in the many people that I, many women that came across my path, why were these kind of eclectic women who typically had some relationship to something associated with my father? There's another woman who actually I'm friends with on Facebook now and who I kind of, I don't know, I I took her to prom in year 10 and these kind of things. I mean, all these early kind of sexual what have you. And, yeah, it's curious because out of the many tens of regular Australian girls that I had exposure to, I guess I just, it was like they were a different species. Like there wasn't even any sexual interest in these strange creatures. I mean, a few of them I got to know and then it was kind of even more curious because they thought there was some, at least on their side, sexual like undertone perspective but for me they just didn't even seem like the same species as me (laughs) i guess i had a cultural awakening considerably earlier than you did in this light and that probably defined my notions of sexuality as well that i actually thought there was something like curiously abusive it was i traveled around tasmania with a woman when i met her parents she wanted me to pretend to be her boyfriend yeah Yeah. which was a very Strange thing because she'd shaved her head and done various things to <laughs> indicate that she was a lesbian. She had like a series of one night stands with men. Okay, so, right. so she's bisexual yeah. apparently. Yeah. However, she had um, she'd slept in a certain pool, and we've talked about this historically associated with sexually transmitted diseases. That I knew in my social group there were a variety of sexually transmitted diseases that were being like, communicated. And I had no interest to be part of any of that (laughs) and knew about it, uh, you know, knew about it through long-standing conversations associated with the lengths that they needed to go to in order to, uh, you know, deal with these crabs and genital warts and all this other (laughs) kind of disgusting stuff. But, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I guess one of the things I liked about this country, the US, was within the first probably 10 days of me being here, a Persian girl that I was in high school with or junior high had shown me her nipple. And that's <laughs> she strictly... showed you her nipple. Yes. <laughs> this was amazing to me. I was sure, would you like to see my nipple? Yeah. It was done in a kind of covert way, but it was really very sweet at the time. And as a 13 year old boy, I thought, Jesus, oh, yeah, these American cool. broads. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. I can go like for Like you know? Ah. Sheila's with their tits out. It was well characterized to me at this point. <laughs> and I guess none of that ever happened in Australia. Like, it was very curious, the whole sexual, moray sexual... And this is probably why I stayed away from the natives. Because on one side, they were promiscuous behind closed doors, but on another side, they were very strange and standoffish and really i wasn't even interested in playing their games and this whole alien metaphor thing i think is very interesting because it really i mean what alien metaphor the, thing i'm a complete they were completely they were like oh, an alien I, that, okay, species yeah, yeah you know yeah, yeah like we couldn't breed <laughs> yeah 
And then, you know, I mean, I coming here and my spiritual advisor, I kind of, you know, I didn't date heavily prior to meeting my spiritual advisor, but in this country at least, very curious to reflect on these things. But I mean, you, you have had a variety of, uh, you know, relationships through your adult life over what, 40 odd years that at least we've talked yeah, about in this recording. Yeah, yeah. Had, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing to even reflect back upon, you know, teenage. Oh, when I think about it, the whole thing, it's just uh, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I think I see it all sort of funny. Mm. You know, sex is to me sort of funny now. Yeah. I mean, people get so worked up and passionate, you know, and it just strikes me as such. You know, such, uh, what's the word, word I'm looking for? Uh, cliche. Mm. You know, cliche emotional behaviors, mm. you know, of getting excited and turned on, mm. you know, and the whole thing is just, it's just imitation from the movies. This is what I was going to ask you, actually, because I think the, there's this phenomenon in Malaysia that I've told you about a couple of times called Bosia which was associated with guys with motorcycles just picking up chicks, yeah. going and having sex with them and then dropping them off. Bosia means without a sound, and it was this notion of, like, yeah. promiscuity, which ultimately came from American cinema. And you <laughs> consume vast quantities of American cinema, and I've always oh, yeah. found the, pers- the, the perspective of sexuality as portrayed in American cinema as being very, very strange. It um... And culturally pervasive in certain areas, yeah. at least. Yeah. Oh, it's just insane. Yeah. It's just, it's just, like I say, I, I look at it now and I just think it's sort of funny. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can imagine maybe having another sexual relationship in my life at some point with yeah. some woman. Um, I mean, that's not out of the question, but yeah. boy, she better have a good sense of humor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just hard for me. Yeah, when I see people getting all worked in movies, you know, when they're getting all worked up, getting yeah. ready for the big sex scene, and I just, it just, I just start laughing every time I see that. Do you think actually that it's that the film has <laughs> film has replaced reality really here in your? Oh yeah, absolutely. Most people in America, anyway, mm. I think, form a huge part of their worldview from television and movies, yeah. and and pattern their own behavior after what they see. Yeah, yeah, it's pathetic. It's just they ape attitudes, yeah. and that's what they sell. Again, the TV and, and movies have is full of attitude with nothing underneath it. It's just it, it's easy to show attitude. Yeah. And so uh, kids learn to ape attitude and haven't got anything underneath it. It's interesting, actually, because I dated a... Well, she was Taiwanese, but she lived in Malaysia for almost all of her life. And I realized, actually, that part of the strange Bosia sexual culture she'd been a part of, I mean, she was... She'd hop on those motorcycles. Well, actually, they. she had a higher-class version of this. I've never really talked about this. It's actually quite interesting. She um, would find... They, there were very affluent shopping malls in Malaysia. It was very similar to, you know, the United Arab Emirates and these kind of things. In fact, the Emiratis would come across. And she knew the calibre of men that she was looking for. She was looking for wealthy foreign yeah. uh, men who were typically Emirates. And she would have these sexual relationships with them. 
So she wasn't like a street-level Bosia person. Yeah. But it was exactly the same thing. Yeah. And talking about it with her, I realised that these men obviously consumed copious quantities of pornography because their perspective of sexuality was completely defined not by American mainstream cinema, but actually by American porn. And I can't imagine what, yeah, what like Middle Eastern ideas of sexuality are. They seem so bizarre. Well, to me, what you realize, and this this has come through, I mean, multi-tiered intelligence analysis, but also it's just common sense, is they get satellite television. So, you know, they have money, they have time, they have satellite television, and also, obviously, they have the internet. And funnily enough, okay, when, yeah, when yeah. I lived in Australia, when I lived on campus, <laughs> the, the kid yeah. that consumed the most internet was actually from Singapore. He'd buy hard disks, fill them up with porn, and send them to his mates in Singapore. I mean, when you have these <sighs> repressive cultures, they yeah. have ways of getting around it. Yeah, yeah. It was very strange, actually, dating um, this... Malaysian woman, because I realized how, not necessarily soulless, but how really, like, curious this... And I always knew, I mean, when I lived in Malaysia periodically, I always knew that the Bosia culture was just so, like, counter the dominant religious narratives and all this other stuff. But it also was really curious associated with, as you described with your perception of American cinema, what it it meant intimacy was on a kind of personal level. Well, like, intimacy was prefaced on a series of, like, strange and clearly internationalized cultural relationships. See, that strikes me as completely uh, that sex, as it's generally done in Mm. the U.S., from my own experience and from, you know, the people I know, Mm. is, is... Probably one of the least intimate things we we ever do. You get naked. We assume getting naked and screwing somebody is an intimate act. Mm-hmm. But it strikes me is that it's one of the most stereotypical things that has almost nothing to do with the individuality of the human you're with. That it, that it, it reduces it to the most the most basic biological level. The things we have in common with mosquitoes. <laughs> you know that uh that real intimacy i mean i've had really intimate conversations with people on the internet mm-hmm. in skype mm-hmm. that were so much more intimate than anything i ever experienced naked with some lady that's uh, so curious i guess i have a perspective that's similar to that but i've always found i've always found the nature of like sexuality to be so completely but in large part it's through from all this kind of anthropological stuff that we've been talking about for the past well, 30 minutes it's all about my my illusions yes. about my fantasy world yeah you know about about this woman and what it all means and mm. all, all this it's just all part of some big fucking stupid story in my head when i look back at all the women i've been involved with over my life you mm. know i mean there's some i actually did meet <laughs> in there somewhere along the line mm. but you know it was all it was all my own story my own head you know, I'm getting through to action. I, again, there were moments of real intimacy in there, mm. but it had very little to do or, or perhaps almost exclusively not to do with sex. Mm. 
You know, it, it involved other aspects of our relationships. And, and real intimacy, I'm not sure how to, what that even means except to be able to tell the truth to one another or something like that. Or a truth, anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think the nature of the nature of honest personal relationships is very curious. And you're right, the you know, the factors associated with just getting naked are one thing. But I guess I guess it's what you perceive other humans as being on some level. And obviously you have a great degree of intimacy in the or at least the conversations you like to have. I guess I always find the paradoxes in people relatively quickly. I mean, this is part of the, you know, just my general perspective on engaging with homo sapiens that, you know, there are so many archetypes that you can kind of swiftly tick off and then you start to realise that you need to discard a number of them in order to get a better understanding of people. But that's got nothing to do with sexuality. In fact, what I found particularly curious with this Annabelle friend was in a... 90-minute period, she could describe all the my peers in high school, did great levels of detail associated with body hair and genital size and <laughs> moles and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Nothing about the person, though. She had it down to a fine art, so yeah. associated with a wide variety of kind of curious shapes. And Well, that's one level of yeah. this. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And funnily enough, after 20-odd years, when we sat down for a coffee, she said she came to a position sometime about five years ago that she was absolutely obsessed, associated with male genitalia. And I said, hmm, I could have told you that about 20 years ago. <laughs> it's, it's good you got there, you yeah. know. It's, it's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, the whole thing to me now, like I say, it, I'm really curious. I mean, I, I kind of hope I do get into another sexual relationship mm. at some point. That would be really interesting, mm. you know. I, I don't know what the likelihood of that is. Probably not very good, actually. But It strikes me as, I mean, I've never had a female following like I've had talking with you. Uh, and I think there are actually a group of women that do like the stuff that you say. No, I think no. I th I think if I wanted to do this, I could probably activate something mm. in this domain. But um, like I say I'm not, I'm not particularly anxious to do to activate my monkey again. <laughs> you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I'm open to that happening. That's the thing. I, I suspect if and when I become more public and I start doing some talking and stuff around that, I might, you know, find myself in, in a position, you know, where sex may re-enter my life. Mm. And um, but it sort of scares me mm. <laughs> and and um, intrigues me and and makes me think, boy, this woman, like I say, is going to have to have a really good sense of humor because, yeah, I mean, because I just can't take it all that seriously, mm. <laughs> you know? Yes. I mean, th yeah, that's really what it is. Is like, say, literally, when, the, when those moments come in movies, you know, when yeah. it's boiling up, you know, I laugh. But that doesn't exist. I mean, that's in no way, I mean, although it might be represented by a small number of the population, particularly the young, naive folks in the population, by the time you get to people that have done the kind of work that, you know, need to happen in order for them to get to a Heronstone talk, yeah. they're already beyond that on some fundamental well, level. Well, uh, yeah, but that, yeah, maybe, maybe not. 
You know, I don't think, see, that thing is once sex gets involved, I think none of that shit makes any difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are so many, like, strange permutations of sexuality, though, that I think your, your perspective is probably dated and probably wrapped in cinema. I mean, I don't think... Well, but I don't think, we, yeah. that's exactly the point. I don't, I don't know how to divorce myself from the illusions in my head about this whole thing. Well, not everything, you know. I, I mean, mean I a understand physical relationship with a woman about. might be might be a way to divorce yourself from these illusions. Well, oh, yeah. Well, but I've done that, and of course, certainly, <laughs> you know. Yes, yeah. that's, that's yeah. why I've become a hermit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, like I say, who knows the future? I, I suspect my future is probably going to be somewhat different than the way it is right now, and has been for the last decade or so. Mm. So, so um, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, yes, it's very I guess, interesting. I guess that was the trajectory I saw prior to the audio discussion, or prior to the re-editing audio discussion. But yeah, I don't know. It's all going to it's all going to play itself out, Heron. I am melting in a puddle here. Last week, I think I recorded probably in shorts and a t-shirt, and I'm in a t-shirt. Now you're wearing here. a tie, right? And, no, no, I'm suit, wearing a t-shirt and a double-breasted suit. Yeah. I think it's actually, it's in the low 90s here. It's been in really? the low 90s wow. today, so yeah. I think that's probably affecting me. This room has yeah. the um, has the sunset sun coming through it, and even with relatively... You'd need an air conditioner. Well, I periodically, we have, a, yeah. we have a mobile air conditioner. The problem is it makes so much noise. In fact, all the air conditioners oh, yeah, make noise yeah, such yeah, that it would be impossible yeah. to record. What I've thought about doing is actually recording in our bedroom, which is considerably cooler, but I need to negotiate that with my spiritual yeah, advisor. It would have completely different acoustics as well, which may confuse our listeners. Well, they'll get over it. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting... Yeah, it'll have more of an impact on your psychology, I would think, than than. Uh, well, else. it's funny actually. When I recorded in different rooms when I was in the apartment, and we talked most recently, and when I was in a different space, yeah. I do remember each of the recordings based on the location that I was in quite well. Actually, yeah, it's I quite bet. curious yeah. Yeah. because most of these recordings now that I record in the same space and same area, kind of flow together in my own thinking. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I've recorded everything I've ever done sitting right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, Heron, I think it'll be the same time next week. Look forward to talking to you then. Okay, good night. Take care.